Iskan founder Chaya Shil Prabhupada ki jai Nantakoti Vaishnavindi ki jai Namacharya Shila Haridas Takur ki jai Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adwaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadigor Bhaktivindi ki jai Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giddy Govardhana ki jai Vrindavandama ki jai Maturadama ki jai Navadweep Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhaktivinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swamini Tinamane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharane Nirvasesa Sanyavadi Paskatyade Sitarane Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raghunatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya It's April 6, 2011 in Hawaii and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 9, Text 4 and we've also been asked to read from Text 5. So Text 4 Drisvanipatitambumau Divas chutam iva maram Pranemu pandava bishmam Sanuga saha chakrina Trisvani patitam bumau Divas chutami vamaram Pranemu pandava bishmam Sanuga saha chakrina
Jitva thus sing Nipatitam lying down Bumo on the ground Divaha from the sky Chutam fallen Eva like Amaram Demigod Pranemuhu bowed down Pandavaha the sons of Pandu Bhishmam unto Bhishma Sa'anugaha with the younger brothers Saha also with Chakrina the Lord carrying the disc translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada seeing him Bhishma lying on the ground like a demigod fallen from the sky, the Pandava king Yudhisthira, along with his younger brothers and Lord Krishna, bowed down before him. Purport. Lord Krishna was also a younger cousin of Maharaj Yudhisthira. Lord Krishna was also a younger cousin of Maharaj Yudhisthira, as well as the intimate friend of Arjuna. But all the family members of the Pandavas knew Lord Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Lord, although conscious of a supreme position, always behaved in a humanly fashion, custom, and so he also bowed down before the dying Bhishma Dev as if he were one of the younger brothers of King Yudhisthira. So we've also go, asked to read the next verse in purport, but we can speak just a little bit briefly about this one. So here's how Krishna likes to act as a human. Or we can say that especially Krishna in his original form, he really takes pleasure in having activities which human societies are the reflections of. Krishna in Vaikuntha is having pastimes that are more equivalent to the activities of the demigods. But Krishna in his original form is quite different just like the, we read how Mother Yasoda when she's churning butter she's perspiring how when Krishna sees Radharani he's perspiring so the demigods don't perspire this is explained in the Mahabharata in the story of Damayanti when she's choosing her husband Nila that she was so qualified the demigods also wanted to marry her and so they took the form of Nila there were three or four demigods who took the form of Nila, but she could tell who was the human because the demigods didn't sweat. <laughs> they didn't sweat, their clothes didn't get dirty. But we find that Krishna gets dusty, he gets covered with sweat. Of course, we think of these things on the material platform as being very distressing. But for Krishna, they're in the perfect form. So Krishna also has this mood, it's called Naralila human-like Lila, and therefore he is also bowing down to Bhishma. He's considering, I'm younger, therefore I should bow down to Bhishma. So Krishna's relishing this rasa. Also, of course, Krishna is teaching Krishna is re-establishing the principles of dharma, not only transcendental dharma, of prema, 
but also even ordinary etiquette. In the modern age, ordinary etiquette is starting to become out of fashion. <laughs> but Krishna also teaches ordinary etiquette. And it's interesting how it says here, divas chutam ivamaram. Amaram, mara is death, amaram, those who don't die. This means the demigods. Of course, they do die, but by human calculations, they don't die. They live so long. And not achutam, but chutam. Krishna is called achutam. Here, Bhishma is called chutam. Divyas, divas, like the demigods from the sky, he has fallen down. That's what he looked like. And factually, that was the case. Bhishma, in his previous life, had been one of the vasus. He'd been a demigod. And then, for various reasons, he had taken birth on planet Earth. Of course, he hadn't taken birth fully as a human being because his mother is the Ganges River. So he was half human, half demigod, as were many of the other persons on the Earth at that time. But it's interesting that it's described he looks like a demigod who's fallen because when the demigods fall, they indeed take birth as human beings. Of course, Bhishma was much, much more elevated than the majority of the demigods. He's one of the Mahajanas. Swayambhu, Narada, Sambhu, Pralada, uh, what is it? Komanu. I forget the whole thing. Anyway, Bhishma is listed in that uh, list of the of the Mahajanas. Great personality. He's in the uh, same list with Yamaraj and Shiva and Brahma and Prahlad. So he's not an ordinary person. Actually, the devotees are as great as the demigods, if not greater. Okay, we're going to go into text 5. Tatra Brahmar Shaya Sarve Devar Shayas Satama Rajar Shayas Chatatrasan Jastum Bharata Pungavam. Translation and purport. Just to see the chief of the descendants of King Bharata, Bhishma, all the great souls in the universe, namely the rishis among the demigods, brahmanas, and kings, all situated in the quality of goodness, were assembled there. Quality of goodness, sattama. Purport. The rishis are those who have attained perfection by spiritual achievements. Such spiritual achievements can be earned by all, whether one is a king or a mendicant. Bhishma Dev himself was also one of the Brahmarshis and the chief of the descendants of King Bharat. All rishis are situated in the quality of goodness, all of them assembled there on hearing the news of the great warrior's impending death. So a number of astonishing things are in this verse and this purport. In the purport, Prabhupada is saying that Bhishma was a Brahmarshi, a Brahma Rishi. A Brahmarshi is the chief of the Rishis, the chief of the sages, the chief of the devotees. We can think about Vishramrita, who was a Ksatriya and by austerities became a Brahmana and eventually became a, a Maharshi, Maharishi, and then he became a Brahmarishi, a Brahmarshi, who's at the top, top saintly persons within the universe. But Bhishma Dev is a warrior. <laughs> He's a warrior. We normally think of a king as the most materialistic person. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wasn't interested in seeing Maharaj Prachaparudra. Why a king? King exemplifies the mode of passion. By materialistic, by the way, we don't mean sinful. A king is, is the mode of passion inclines one to piety, to righteousness. Sinfulness is the mode of ignorance. Passion is not engaged in sinfulness, but not sinful activities, but a, a materialistic mentality of I want to be pious so I can be honored, I want to be pious so I can be respected. And a king is interested in amassing land and money and power and influence in showing off his chivalry. Of course, Bhishma wasn't technically the king. But after the death of his father, he had to rule until his half-brothers, Vichichavirya and Chitrangada, were grown. Then Vichichavirya ruled for a very short time. And Bhishma had to run the kingdom until Pandu was of age. Of course, when Bhishma was running the kingdom, he was not called the king because he had taken a vow that he wouldn't be king. 
But factually, Bhishma was ruling the kingdom for a very long time. And when Dhritarashtra was sitting on the throne, because Dhritarashtra was blind, Bhishma Dev was doing a lot of the work of the king. So certainly he was uh, as good as a king. And a king is a person, again, who wants to amass wealth and power and name and fame, who wants to overlord, who has Ishvar Abhav. They have the mood of being the controller. So this is the primary mentality of somebody who's against spiritual life. I want to be the controller. And yet we find that Bhishma is one of the Mahajanas. He's a Brahmarshi. And here Prabhupada is saying that all the Rishis are situated in the quality of goodness. Well, how is that? In order to be Satriya, Satriya means somebody who's in the mode of passion. That's the definition of Satriya. And yet, here we're saying, hearing that he's in the mode of goodness. Interesting. And Prabhupada's making this point here that this qualification, this status of being a Rishi in the mode of goodness can be achieved. He used the words here, achieved. Attain spiritual perfection by spiritual achievements and such spiritual achievements. Saying everybody can engage and can achieve spiritual. Uh, what would we say? Get spiritual achievements. Whether they are mendicant, I mean, we think of, okay, a mendicant's very spiritual. Somebody just wandering around with a couple possessions in a Buddha bag and walking barefoot not having any money, not having any home, not having any family, not caring about prestige. Somebody like Madhavindapuri, who wandered alone. He didn't even want a companion because he didn't want to speak Prajalpa. He wouldn't even beg Madhavindapuri. He would make no effort to get even food. If someone offered him food, he would eat. Otherwise, he wouldn't eat. So it's uh, easy for us to think, oh, such a person could be in the mode of goodness, such a person could get spiritual achievement. But how could Bhishma, Bhishma the man who fought on thousands of battlefields with thousands of men and could speak on thousands of subjects with thousands of meaning, who was ruling over so many, how could he be in the mode of goodness? How could he get spiritual achievements? And of course we may wonder this about ourselves as well. You know, we may say, well, okay, I can see how so-and-so Maharaj can be spiritually advanced. After all, he must have been advanced in another life, and he's so pure, but I'm not pure. I'm not advanced. I can't get any spiritual achievements. I can't come to the mode of goodness. How is it available for me? Well, first of all, we have to ask, what are spiritual achievements? What do we mean by spiritual achievements? Spiritual achievements, you know, sometimes we think about spiritual life the way we think about ordinary things in this world. If you want to get a bachelor's degree... You take a certain number of courses, you go to class, you do your homework, you take your exams, and you achieve something. You do a certain kind of work, and you get a certain fruit for your work. That's your achievement. You're handed the diploma that you can put on your wall, and then people will give you some respect, or they'll give you a higher-paying job. So that's an achievement, or an achievement can be, you know, I want to build a house. So I take the bricks and I put them on one on top of another and I put in the mortar and I put in the plumbing and I look, oh, I've achieved something. Here's something I've created. I create a, a loaf of bread. I create a, a computer program. I create a painting. I create some new project. Or even I achieve that I clean the floor. I've achieved a clean floor. I've achieved clean pots in the sink. I've achieved relationships. I have a successful relationship with my husband, with my children, with my friends, with my boss. That's one of my achievements, all the people I know. know, How many friends do you have on Facebook or how many contacts do you have in your Skype? How many names can you remember? How many people will come to your funeral? Sometimes there's stories like that, right? About, I read a story once about this delivery man, postman, and very simple man, very poor, but when he died, a thousand people came to his funeral. So achievement, so many connections, so many people that admire you. So are spiritual achievements like that? Is that what we mean? Is that what Prabhupada means by spiritual achievements? Now we notice with all these other things, 
We have a concept of being the doer. We have a concept of having a beginning and an end of a particular fruit and doing certain actions that take us from the beginning to the end over time. Uh, time is the first of the material creations. It's the, the glance of Mahavishnu. Bhakti and spiritual achievements do not really have anything to do with that. They're not something where we're imagining we're the doer. And I do this, and then I do that, and then I do this, and then I do that, and then I have a finished product, which is my achievement. It's not what it means. When we think of bhakti like that, we're thinking of it as something mechanical and something I can control. We are bringing to it the same mentality that we have when we want to be Ishwarahamahambhogi. When I want to be the controller of material nature. It's interesting in, in, that it says in Chaitanya Charitamrita that the Lord Chaitanya, that Lord Chaitanya was not the master of the holy name, he was the servant. So we can take up bhakti like that. I'm going to master the holy name. I'm going to master Krishna consciousness. I'm going to know all the books backwards and forwards. I'm going to know all the techniques of chanting. I'm going to learn all the vocabulary of ISKCON devotees. Oh, Pam Ho Agusp, Hari Bol. Going to know all the personalities of the Shastras. I'm going to work really, 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 really hard. Move my way up in the organization. And that way I will get some achievements. That spiritual achievements is something very different. It's actually building a relationship. And not relationships just where you can say, oh, all these people admire me. I have this whole list of friends. I have all these connections in business. Oh, it, it, spiritual achievements mean things you've done to develop a relationship. And I know in his famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I had never read in entirety, Stephen Covey talks about emotional bank accounts. And it's like, could you close that door, please, Vikram, for the noise? Could you keep the door closed for the noise? Thanks. So it's, it's really interesting. He talk, Stephen Covey talks about making deposits in other people's emotional bank accounts, doing things that build your relationship with that person. And that's very much how Srila Prabhupada and the Acharyas speak about spiritual achievements. How fortunate are the cowherd boys that after amassing heaps of pious activities in many, many lifetimes, they are playing with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada often talks about that. He'll say, it's like putting money in a bank account. And after you deposit money in that account, in that account, in account, eventually you're very wealthy. I think it was in the 1980s, there was a, a story that got in all the newspapers about this one woman, black woman in the American South, who, uh, she grew up without a father. Her mother used to do washing for people, not with a washing machine. She'd do the washing and ironing by hand. And uh, this girl grew up and took on her mother's business. She never married, never had children. She never had a car. She had one old television, didn't work very well. She had one Bible, and that was about all of her possessions. Sure, you don't get paid very much for doing washing. But every week, she would save $15. She'd put $15 into a savings account. Only once did she take any money out. She took $40 out to buy a present for her niece, I think. At a certain point, her banker said to her, uh, you know, you might want to think about putting your money in some kind of investments and what are you going to have in your will? And she said, why is that? He said, because you have $250,000. She ended up funding some big uh, college fund. She came to the notice of the president of the time, I think it was Ronald Reagan, and she was very much uh, glorified for her saving and her charity. She ended up starting a whole foundation. But my point is that although she wasn't particularly qualified, she was just putting aside something every week until it became a lot of money, until she became a very wealthy woman. 
So what we're putting in this account, what we're piling, is we're not piling exactly activities. We're piling relationships. We're piling how we develop our attachment to Krishna. The beginning devotees think of spiritual life as something they do. I move my fingers over the beads to chant my rounds. I put clothes on the deities. I put food on the altar and say some prayers. I clean my spiritual master's room. I go out and distribute books. I build a temple. They think of that devotional service, bhakti, is a series of activities. But gradually one sees that those activities are simply the framework for an exchange of love. The activities are important. You have to have a framework. You have to have some kind of a, a structure. If you're going to eat, you have to have a plate. Even when the cowherd boys take their lunch into the forest, of course, they don't bring plates. And in, in those days, they didn't have paper plates. But they would eat on something. They wouldn't just eat on the ground. They'd eat sometimes on a rock. Sometimes they'd eat out of the baskets their mothers sent them. They might eat off of a leaf. Sometimes they ate off of flower petals. But they had some sort of structure in which they were eating. So the activities of bhakti are meant to provide that structure, that vehicle, that frame. But in and of themselves, they are not bhakti, just doing the activities with the body. The point is the spiritual achievements means our achievement of reestablishing our loving relationship with Krishna. With Krishna, with Radharani, with Madhya Soda, with Nanda Maharaj, with Subha, with Madhu Mangal, with Rupa Goswami, with Rupa Manjari, with the rocks and the trees and the swans, with all the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement, with Lord Nityananda, with Adoita Acharya, with Swarup Damodar and Ramananda Roy, Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod, with Srila Prabhupada, with the present devotees of the ISKCON movement, how are we establishing our relationships? How are we treating others? Those are our spiritual achievements. And what do we get from our spiritual achievements? We come to the mode of goodness, where all of the gates of the body are illuminated by knowledge, where one feels happy. And we go above the mode of goodness. We go above the mode of goodness. And we come to bhakti, we come to love. That is spiritual achievement. And that can be had by anybody. That can be had by anybody. Dhruva was a little boy. He hadn't even gone to school yet. He was only five. I mean, look at the some five-year-old child. Think of some five-year-old child you know. How qualified are they? One of my grandsons here is four. He's not really very qualified to do anything. I mean, he can barely get out the plates for dinner. He can, you know, count up to ten, maybe. If he doesn't get what he wants, he'll have a tantrum. Druva was only five. And he was angry. <laughs> he was angry and he wanted something material. Jatayu was a bird, not just a bird, but a vulture. Right? Kubja was just a, a maid, a deformed maid. The uh, Brahmana who was reading the Bhagavad Gita upside down, he was illiterate. Everybody was making fun of him. Or here we're reading about how Bhishma is a descendant of King Bharat. So, of course, there are three very important Bharats. There's Bharat, the brother of Lord Ramachandra, who ruled as a servant of Ramachandra's sandals for 14 years. There is the Bharat, who's the son of Rishabhdev, who was a great ruler of the earth, who renounced the kingdom, came to Bhava, became attached to a deer, took birth as a deer, and then took birth as the Brahmin Bharat. And then there's the Bharat, which was mentioned here. Now, he's many. I didn't count exactly, but I think it's 20 generations or more previous to Bhishma. And Bharat is an interesting person. His mother is Shakuntala. 
Uh, Shakuntala is the daughter of Menika. Menika is an Apsara, a demigoddess, who united illicitly with Vishramrita Muni. So Shakuntala was half human, half demigod, and she did not have a very auspicious uh, conception. She wasn't born into a, a proper family, but still her parents were highly qualified. Vishramrita Muni was very highly qualified as a Muni, and Menika, of course, was a goddess. And then this Shakuntala married Dusmanta. Dusmanta was a Ksatriya king, and they had this child, Bharat. Bharat was interesting because he had marks of Lord Vishnu on his hands and feet, and sometimes he's considered to be an avatar. But he ruled the kingdom very righteously. He was a very great king, and it's said that the whole world is called Bharat Varsha because of this king Bharat. Sometimes it's said it's called Bharat Varsha after one of the other Bharats, but often because of this Bharat. And Bharat has an interesting history with his children. He had three wives, but his wives, when they gave birth to children, somehow Bharat didn't have very dominant genes, and the children didn't look like their father. They looked very different. So sometimes that happens. <laughs> I remember reading a story once of a white Englishman who married a black African woman, and they had twin boys. One was totally black and one was totally white. So sometimes it happens that the children resemble a mixture of the mother and father. Sometimes they strongly resemble one parent, and sometimes they really don't look like any either of the parents. So in this case, the mothers uh, kill their own children. How horrible. You just try to imagine how Bharat must have felt. And we, we may think that we have some catastrophe in our lives, but that's pretty catastrophic if your wife kills your, your children. See, so you had no children. So he performed a jagya to get children. And at that time, he was given a child called uh, Bhardaraj. This Bhardaraj, who also had a very... Uh, strange birth. Although he was the son of demigods, he was born from an illicit union between Brahaspati and Mamata. Uh, he was born actually from rape of Mamata by Brahaspati. And neither one of them wanted to raise him. They didn't want to take care of him. They abandoned him. And he ended up coming to earth and becoming the son of Bharat. So here we see so many problems. You know, we so that's we were talking about Druva's just a little boy, Jitayu's a bird, Kubja's just a hunchback maid. But if we look at Bharat, we find there's a lot of what we would call in modern society a dysfunctional family. You know, and even with Bharat's own mother and father, Dusmant and Shakuntala, Dusmant and Shakuntala married in the forest secretly. They had a Gandharva marriage. Then Dusmanta left, and when Shakuntala came with Bharat to the palace, Dusmanta at first rejected her. He said, I don't know you. Who is this boy? So, so many family problems. And still, Bharat is such a great personality on a spiritual level that the whole Bharat Varsha is named for him. And his descendants, even 20 or 30 generations later, oh, here's a descendant of Bharat. Here's a descendant of Bharat. This is a descendant of Bharat. Such a great personality. So we have so many impediments in our lives, so many reasons we think we can't take up spiritual life. We may think, oh, I'm too young, I'm too old, I have this health problem, I have some, so many problems in my family, I have this problem with my mother or my father or my husband or my son, or I have some disease, I have this or that. But we see all these persons attained spiritual achievements. I like to speak of Bhishma. Bhishma also had uh, not such a pleasant life in so many ways. His mother Ganga liberated his older brothers. He was raised away from his father. Then when he got to be with his father, he wasn't with his mother anymore. He was given the kingdom. Uh, but then in order to please his father, he renounced the kingdom. He never married. He had all the responsibility of taking care of women and children and kingdom without any of the benefits. Very difficult life. 
Uh, but still, he was amassing spiritual achievements. That the material circumstances don't matter. There's no material impediments. Now, even in the material world, if a person loves, is madly in love with someone, there's no impediments. So many famous love stories. You know, Shakespeare writes Romeo and Juliet, how their families are against it, and they still, they get married and they elope. No impediments. They don't consider. There's, oh, I have this problem and that problem. Like Prahlad Maharaj told his friends not to think, oh, now I'm too young, now I'm this, now I'm that. I can't become Krishna conscious because of this. I can't become Krishna conscious because of that. But we find the Shastras are full of stories of people who had so many problems in this way or that way, and still they became Krishna conscious. And we might think that when we see advanced devotees, that they became an advanced devotee because they had no impediments. But that's not a fact. If we speak to them, we'll find out. There were so many impediments. In fact, those impediments, as Prabhupada says so beautifully, that the Lord turns all of our impediments into spiritual service. The impediments become a way of making a big deposit into our bank account of spiritual achievements. A huge deposit. If I establish a relationship with you when there's no impediments, that's not as much of a deposit as if I establish a relationship when there's so many impediments. Uh, UPS likes to say, we guarantee that we are going to have overnight delivery at 10 o'clock in the morning, no matter what. Well, what do you think that means? Do you think that means that the delivery men and women always have a smooth road with no traffic? One time a UPS delivery man is going to the airport and there's an overturned semi, tractor trailer, big lorry in the middle of the road, completely blocking the road. And all the side roads were blocked, and the last plane was going to take off. And this delivery man took the boxes out of the truck, one at a time, and carried them around the obstacle. Just to get boxes delivered on time. Just so that UPS could say, we guarantee delivery at 10 in the morning. What to speak of when there's love? What is the question of an obstacle? So we could list practically all the devotees of the Shastra, so many of the devotees that we know, and they could list all of their excuses, all of their reasons. But when one loves despite obstacles, then that's much more a show of love. Therefore, Prabhupada says, such spiritual achievements can be earned by all. It's interesting he's using the word earned. Because in really, in one sense, spiritual achievements isn't something that you earn. It's our birthright. Jiva Bhuta Sanatana. We're eternally part of Krishna. Jivara Swarupaya, Krishnara Nichidasha. We're always Krishna's servants. It's not really something that we can earn. It's explained in the Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu that the practice of bhakti is not to practice something artificial. In another way, we do earn it. We do earn it because we have intentionally rebelled against Krishna. Therefore, we have to again earn his trust. My, grand, my older grandsons, they're 12 and 14, they were asking me yesterday, why doesn't Krishna prove that he's here by just standing in front of me? I said, because you want to exploit him. We have to earn his trust. We have to actually deposit in his bank account that we're going to care about him rather than just putting ourselves at the center. So this is the goal of our life. The goal of our life is not just to make sure we have a comfortable, warm place to sleep and, and friends around us. All right, that's important. I suppose it's important. So one devotee in Vrindavan, who for 11 years has been sleeping on the street, literally on the street, just on the ground. But even if we want to say having a warm, dry place to sleep is important and 
having enough to eat and good friends and things we enjoy and all those sort of things. That's okay. But our real motive should be this other achievement. That should be our real motive. And then, even if superficially we're doing work that appears to be lower than the mode of goodness, even if superficially we're working as a shudra, or superficially we're working as a ksatriya, or a vaisha, because of the particular body that we have, our mentality is that of a rishi. Our mentality is that of a rishi. How do you put those together? How do you say, well, how do you put those together? There's a, a group that I'm work with on studying Srila Prabhupada's books there in the UK and this is a discussion we've been having recently over email that how can somebody be apparently in the mode of passion like Lord Brahma he's the controller of the mode of passion the incarnation of the mode of passion yet Prabhupada said he's established in loving relationships to the Lord well you know we all have a body that's a combination of the particular modes of nature and our body is going to act in a particular way. If we have a body that has a tendency to act as a shudra or a tendency to act as etc., that's how it's meant to act. But we come to the mode of goodness beyond the mode of goodness. We come to pure goodness. When we take that and we use it for Krishna, that's rishi. When we're not attached to it, when we're not trying to enjoy it, when I'm not trying to enjoy the modes of passion, ignorance, or even the mode of goodness. When what am I trying to enjoy? Whether or not Krishna is smiling. That's my happiness. Prabhupada says, the residents of Vrindavan, they just want to see Krishna smile. So how do we do this? How do we have earn, as Prabhupada says here, earn our spiritual achievements and come to the Brahman platform come to the platform of Shuddha how do we do this well really we all know how to do this we should know how to do this Prabhupada explains in his lecture on 7-1 Maya Shaktamana Partha he said we all have attachments we all understand what it means to have an attachment we all have some affection for somebody or something some activity. We just transfer that to Krishna. Do everything with affection for Krishna. Meditate on how Krishna's there. Krishna's the incoming and outgoing breath. Krishna's the fire of digestion. Krishna's the sunshine. Krishna's the rascally butter thief. The stealer of the gopi's clothes the husband of Sita who upholds Dharma, the rescuer of the earth is Varaha, the friend of Bhishma who offers Bhishma his obeisances, even though, even though Krishna asks everyone to offer obeisances to him. Satatam kirtayantonam yatam tas chadridavitaha namastantasmaparcha I'm sorry. I've been up really early this morning and helped delivering a baby and I'm a little spaced out today. Nitya Yukta Upasate. So, Krishna is saying that the great souls are all offering obeisances to him. Namas. Offering obeisances. And he says this, right? Manmana bhava madbhakto majaji mam namaskaru namaskaru Offering obeisances. Everyone's offering obeisances to Krishna, but he's offering obeisances to Bhishma. So we can meditate how Krishna is offering obeisances to Bhishma. We can meditate on how Krishna is the heir. We can meditate on how Krishna is the son. And to develop affection and attachment. Real affection, real attachment. Not just to say, you know, I'm a devotee. <laughs> I'm a devotee. And not to use our Krishna consciousness as a means to thinking we're great because we've done so many things externally or as a way to overlord other people and feel superior to them because we're so Krishna conscious and they're not, but as a way of reestablishing our relationship with Krishna. And then no matter who we are and what we are and how dysfunctional our family is and how deformed we are or whatever, what our job is, 
then we will also be counted as one of the rishis. And then at some point we will enter into these wonderful lilas. And we'll also be there with the Lord and the devotees. Maybe seeing Bhishma as he leaves his body. So, questions, comments, corrections? Well, two reasons. First of all, the one you mentioned, that he felt he had a moral obligation. So on that level, he chose material morality over spiritual morality. So from that point of view, it was a mistake. Just like Karna chose material morality, that I'm indebted to Duryodhan over the spiritual morality and I'm supposed to serve Krishna. And the example there is even if you're a great personality like Bhishma, if you become indebted to materialistic people, it can cloud your intelligence. Just like Yudhisthira gives the example that even if you're Dharmaraj, that if you gamble, you can lose your intelligence. So we should be very, very careful. Sometimes the devotees set a negative example also. The devotees are very surrendered to Krishna, and if he wants them... <laughs> I saw one t-shirt a boy wore. It said, if you can't be a good example, at least be a warning. So the, de- the devotees are, are willing to intentionally be a warning. That be careful. Even if you're a great person, if you become dependent on materialistic people, that it can erode your good sense. It can erode your judgment. Now, the other reason that Bhishma fought on the, fought on the side of the Kurus was for rasa because he has a chivalrous relationship with Krishna, just like uh, the cowherd boys like to fight with each other. That's one of the main things, especially, that males do. Females don't do that generally. If women fight with each other, it generally just damages their relationship. But men, at least according to modern psychology, they help establish their relationship with other men by fighting, physically or verbally or both. So that's also fun. It's also fun. So Bhishma and Krishna had this have this chivalrous relationship, and how are they going to fight if they're on the same side? So there's also rasa going on there. Both things. certainly true about material karma so with material karma you can really mess things up able to give you an absolute definitive answer what we can do is look at several examples we can have one where there was one disciple of Srila Prabhupada Nittai I think a Sanskrit scholar who ended up associating with people who criticized Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati and they because Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati uh, established that our main line is Shiksha not Diksha the disciplic successions we list in the books are not diksha lines. They're shiksha lines. Our diksha line would look very different. For example, Bhakti Vinod is in the diksha line from Janavamata. But you don't see Janavamata listed in our disciplic line in the Bhagavad Gita. We're listing a shiksha line. 
So there are other followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there are other Gaudiya Vaishnavas who have said that Bhakti Siddhanta is has broken the parampara and is an apasampradaya. So Nittai got involved with these people who were blaspheming Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. And he became convinced of their arguments and he started preaching their arguments. And even now he's he's uh, He's a Vaishnava. He preaches Krishna consciousness. Uh, you may have the misfortune, as I have, of landing up on one of his websites when you were looking for something else. So he's definitely still involved in Gaudiya Vaishnav practice and Gaudiya Vaishnav philosophy. I, I think he's become a college professor. Anyway, Srila Prabhupada, when he found out that Nittai was blaspheming his own spiritual master, he said he will not attain prema, I can't remember if it was 10,000 births or 10,000 years. It was either 10,000 births or 10,000 years. I think it was 10,000 births. He will not attain prema for 10,000 births. Now, Prabhupada didn't say he will never attain prema. So that's one example. There's a, I'm not sure if it's an article, a lecture from Bhakti Siddhanta, where he talks about the value of diksha. And he says that a person who has taken diksha will surely be delivered even if he commits offenses that eventually he'll be delivered. But then he does say that in very rare cases, even a person who's taken diksha may ruin his spiritual life and not complete the process. Now, Bhaktisanta Saraswati was not talking about one life. He was talking about eventuality. So we have that example. Um, We have the example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with Mukunda. He said, whatever it is, after 10 million years, because you're associating with the Mayavadis after 10 million years. So we, we have these different examples which seem to indicate that things are held in abeyance or frozen rather than destroyed, but that under some conditions they may be able to be destroyed. My, 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 my conclusion is that Krishna is a person and that things are individual. That when we're talking about establishing a relationship, it is a relationship between people. And therefore, although you can say that there's rules, it's, you can't exactly say that there's rules. Krishna is a person. And Krishna, from what Krishna has said, it seems that his general policy is that once a conditioned soul starts devotional service, then even if they have fall-downs and sinful activities, and even if they commit offenses, that their devotional service is not lost. That seems to be Krishna's general policy. However, he also warns, especially as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but in other places also, that uh, don't offend the devotees. That if you offend the devotees, everything can be ruined. What does that mean, everything can be ruined? I don't think he specifies I understand that things are applied very individually. Depends who you are and what you're doing, and you know. But why take a chance? Don't offend devotees. I mean, make it pretty simple. Let's do our best not to offend devotees. The other thing that Srila Prabhupada said can really greatly, at least, delay Krishna consciousness is sinning on the strength of chanting. So the the offenses that Prabhupada mentions as the worst offense were three to offend the devotees, to disobey the orders of a spiritual master, and to sin on the strength of chanting. And particularly sinning on the strength of chanting, Prabhupada was in Hawaii when he was asked about people who say, just chant Hare Krishna and then you can do whatever you want. And Prabhupada said that is not only is an offense, it's the greatest offense. He said, and then the devotees said, will, will their chanting be effective? Prabhupada said, yes, in 700 bursts they may become perfect. So I, I, and, he would, and he would give the example of wood. He said, if you're trying to light a fire with wood, but you're simultaneously pouring water over it, the fire will not be very effective. And first you have to have dry wood, and then you can actually have fire. But I think that all of these analogies are limited. Our basic principle is that whatever one puts in a spiritual bank account stays there regardless of whatever else one may do. And that in time, it will the account will become mature. 
However, there are certain things one can do that seem to wipe out the account under very rare conditions. No, but the activity provides a framework or an expression of the relationship. I tell. I mean, therefore, it says, especially for the guru, one should observe for a year. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lists the nine symptoms of bhava, most of which are things that can be externally verified. Because one's internal mentality does show up in activities. It's not that activities are meaningless, but they're not everything. I mean, even Krishna's pastimes, it's not exactly what everybody's doing that's so important. Like someone may say, well, I've heard these stories before about Krishna. It's not, it's not a question of, okay, first Krishna kicked Kaliya's head, then he jumped on it. It's, it's what the relationships, it's, it's the taste that's going on that's important. But if you have a taste, it will be visible in your activities. And if you don't have a taste, it will also be visible in your activities. So if you don't really, if you're not, haven't really started to establish a relationship with Krishna, if you're going on basically mechanically, then you'll act in ways from time to time, or quite a lot, that where, where your actual mentality will be demonstrated. That doesn't mean that you'll go out and smoke a cigarette or you'll you know, go out to the movies, but basically you'll offend other people, you'll exhibit selfishness and greediness and so forth. It will be, it will be evident in your, in your behavior. Now, having said all that, we, we're not supposed to judge others so we can feel better than them. We're supposed to judge others to decide with whom to associate and how. And I can't fully tell what somebody else is. I can only tell what I am. And if I'm very a beginner, I can hardly even tell what I am. You know, if I'm really a beginner, then I'll usually think that I'm very advanced when I'm not. So, you know, it's, our ability to, to tell is, is limited. But if, if we want to love Krishna and we want to serve Krishna, then Krishna will also help us. He'll help us. And if sometimes, if sometimes Krishna doesn't reveal to us who's a cheater and a scoundrel, that may be for some purpose also. When, when Prabhupada got the property at uh, Juhu and Mr. Nair cheated him, Prabhupada said, if Krishna had told me that Mr. Nair was a cheater, I never would have signed this property. that Krishna didn't tell me. So, so sometimes, sometimes Krishna may have reasons for not giving us all. You know, if, if you already know everything, there's no fun anymore. What do they call that The movie with movies? A spoiler? A movie or a book, you know? If somebody tells you how the movie's going to turn out or how the book's going to turn out, they've spoiled everything. So the devotees, we're... I've said this before, you know, we're actually part of Krishna's Leela. This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. You know, the cowherd boys don't always recognize the demons. The cowherd boys didn't recognize Vyomasura or Vatsasura. Even Balaram didn't recognize Palambasura for a while. Otherwise, there's no fun. We're not interested in just Paramatma realization where I just know everything. We're interested in Leela. And sometimes for Leela, a demon is disguised as a devotee and we don't recognize them. And then Krishna gets to play the hero and rescue us. 
rescue the temple and rescue the society or one of his devotees gets to play the hero and there's some story and there's some adventure and we can tell the story and Krishna is all about stories and adventures it's not all just knowing but I can't I can't be convinced that if I'm following the process that Srila Prabhupada gave me and I'm doing my best at the level that I am now to really try to establish a relationship with Krishna he will give us booty he'll give us intelligence it's not something that I it's not something I'm just figuring out on my own and if, if sometimes I'm deceived then I think okay you know what lesson did Krishna have for me here how is this also part of my journey how is this also part of my of my spiritual bank account it's not to see all that just separate from Krishna. I mean, if I'm actually being a nonsense, that's something else. But if, if I'm following the process, then everything that's happening to me is as Krishna's directing it. Everything. There's nothing that's out of Krishna's direction. There's nothing that's bad for me. Although it may look like that at the time. Oh, absolutely. That's the last item of the neophyte. As explained by Imadurya Kadambadi, by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, getting attached to the results of bhakti. Now, now Jiva Goswami explains that one of these, one of the problems of someone who chants inattentively, intentionally. We're not talking about someone who's trying to be attentive and isn't as attentive as they'd like to be. Or we're talking about someone who's intentionally inattentive, who just doesn't care. Oh, I'm just going to chant my japa mechanically and be attentive. Jiva Goswami says that one of the results of that, he gives four or five results, all of which are horrible, but one of them is that one starts thinking that the external things you do in bhakti are the real thing and you become proud of them. You know, I built this temple, I've distributed so many books, I've, you know, waved so many sticks of incense or whatever. So in that way, one can become proud of one's external achievements and miss the whole point. Then you think that it's kind of some kind of a business where, some kind of a material business where you're trying to get some material achievement. But also someone who's genuinely advancing and genuinely getting rid of their inertias and who is very attentive, at a certain point there starts to be some external benefits coming from bhakti. Because one has become an advanced devotee, there's some respect, there's some facility. And if one gets attached to them and gets proud of them and thinks, oh, I'm a senior devotee, I'm an advanced devotee, I'm a realized devotee. So that's going to prevent one from coming to the Brahma-Bhuta platform. So as one sees one's spiritual achievements, one should see this is all by the grace of Guru. It's all by the grace of Guru and Krishna. You know, my credit is just that I, I have faith. Like Prabhupada would say, he'd say, my only credit is I have faith in my words of my spiritual master. My credit is that I'm following. That's all. So if I tell you how to get from wherever you are now to a nearby city, or just the other day I dropped off the grandkids at their uncle's house, and my daughter-in-law drew me a map. So I was able to find how to get there and drop them off and come back. So what's my credit? My credit is that I followed the instructions. So that's a credit. That's something. But really, it was her who told me how to go. So if our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, all the acharyas, they've given us the path, they've given us the process, they're opening the doors. Krishna's our ability, Krishna's our intelligence. What's my credit? My credit is just that I'm cooperating. And what kind of great credit is that? That's my nature as a soul to cooperate. Could you imagine if you say, I'm really, really proud of the fact that I'm not a criminal? Well, you're expected not to be a criminal. It's not some big accomplishment. If somebody in the prison house becomes reformed, it's not some 
it's not a big deal. If they now become an honest citizen, well, everyone's expected to be an honest citizen, so what? What's that? So how can one take pride in one's achievement? How, how, you know, everything I've, everything I've done to get my spiritual achievements has been given to me by Krishna, has been given to me by Guru, and all I'm doing is what I was supposed to be doing in the first place. It's not, not something grandiose. What's grandiose is that Krishna loves me. That's grandiose. But what is there to be proud of? Krishna doesn't love me because of any particular reason other than that I'm his part and parcel. It's not that I it's not that because of some flower I gave him. Not like that. Yeah, it was a devotee who stood up to ask a question at the end of class. Prabhupada was giving class, and the devotee stood up, and he starts saying, Prabhupada, I'm the most fallen. Prabhupada said, you are not the most anything. Sit down. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, Sorry if I was a bit spaced out this morning. Dio glories to Srila Prabhupada. Thank you for asking me, and I was happy that the baby came early enough that I could still get online. Hare Krishna.